Welcome to the Healing the City podcast. I'm Pastor Eric. The following episode is part of our series called The Book of Paul, where Ron Brown discusses the wisdom of the Old Testament, his journey to faith, and how though you may not be a follower of Jesus, the Bible and church is probably a good place for you to be at. This conversation is a conversation between myself, Ron Brown, and Nathan. Nathan would say he's a non-Christian. He may not really even identify himself as an atheist. Check. All right. Here we go. Uh, welcome to Healing the City Podcast. My name is Eric Siepen, and across from me is Ron Brown. I'm the pastor of the village. Ron is a member of the village, and we're doing the Book of Paul, which is now this is the, well, technically the second podcast of the Book of Paul, but it started with the Book of Saul uh, as the opening one. And today we have a guest, but Ron, I'll let you introduce them since you were talking about him. And Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I... Um just to recap for people that may not have listened to all the previous episodes, the first episode, the the uh, Book of Saul, that was an episode in which I did my best to make the best case I could for agnostic atheism. Um, and when I did that, there was a Christian right next to me to push back against me, Eric. And so I felt that the week after, we or two weeks later, we put up me making the best case for Christ that I could must muster. And so it's only fair that we have a smart, articulate, well-read atheist. And since they weren't available, we picked Nathan. Um, <laughs> no, I, I kid, I joke. Nathan is, uh, yeah, he is not. Nathan actually was uh, kind of concerned about the way I described him in the last episode because he thought it made him sound militant. And, and, and it probably did. And that wasn't my intention to make because Nathan is not a militant atheist. I just wanted to communicate to the listeners, especially to the atheists, that I am not bringing on some patsy who's just going to roll over and make Eric and I I look good or try to protect our feelings uh like i've already told him like you know defend your position to the best of your ability uh don't pull any punches uh well yeah anyhow um but yeah so nathan really smart guy one of the most well-read people i've ever met uh he's a mathematician he's got a phd he's an atheist i don't think i could have done much better to have a good defender of what i still think is an incredibly credible position agnostic atheism so Nathan, do you want to say a few things about yourself and about what, like maybe what your belief status is? Like, h- how would a person accurately define, describe your belief in God about God? Um, well, first and foremost, I'd like to maybe just say that uh, I, I don't really think that my personal views are reflective of um, groups of people who might call themselves atheists or agnostic atheists or what have you. And this isn't just a, a, a means through convenience that I can escape out of a potential argument per se, but often I find uh, those types of discussions not be as productive. Uh, I'm glad you asked about the personal part of that because most often I'm not asked what my personal beliefs are. I'm usually asserted that I believe in certain things or I have faith claims uh, to certain positions that somehow uh, represent me. And sometimes it's just good to go to the source. So I appreciate that. Um, Reason I was putting pause on the recent discussion you guys had about uh atheism when you guys were referring to me a little bit um about being a good i think you used the word opponent or something like that uh yeah i, I think i called you a worthy adversary but oh, I, was using okay. the term, like, I was using the term like jokingly it's not a yeah. fight it's a conversation i, I understood what yeah. you meant because yeah, i know yeah. you personally but yeah. to the outside world it might seem as if i'm 
going around trying to beat up Christians or something or what yeah, have you. I feel like I get a black eye every time I talk to you. <laughs> your, your karate is really good. <laughs> Ron apparently is really pushing this. <laughs> so you were saying, my friend. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I listened to the uh, uh, the podcast with, with Ron and a few of the other ones that the village had put out um, in no particular order or anything like that. I think there's a few dozen of them up and uh, came up with an idea even yesterday for a birthday gift for Eric because of one of the things that I had heard on a podcast about him being a, a journalist. So there's that. Um, that's all I have to say about that right now. Okay. That's cool. But so Okay, so like my position when I was before I became a believer was that I was an agnostic atheist. I, I didn't know for certain there was no God, but I didn't see any reason to act as if there was one, though I would have been open to that evidence should it come, and I proved that because I changed my mind when it did. Um, but like, how would you describe your stance? Do you, do you claim to know there's no God, or do you just simply think there's not much reason to believe in one and so like you're like effectively an atheist in the sense that like you behave as if there's no god because until there until there's evidence for there being one why would you account why would you take that into account in how you live there's a couple there's a couple of ways they can maybe approach this um i have fairly neutral stances on most of these types of questions because bearing there's a cultural and literal context that we're dealing with here let's say in the west if i was asked this question somewhere else I might be f- maybe forced or coerced into a certain way of talking. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not accusing most Christians that I've encountered mm-hmm. as doing this with me trying to you know make this a propositional type argument, but that's often what I feel. Um and it's not coming off as disingenuous, just maybe it's a consequence of our our language and the heritage we have and the history of the West tied to things like Christianity. To answer your question though a little more directly, which I'm not trying to avoid, I'm just trying to build out some caveats here so you don't think I'm trying to weasel my way out. Mm. Um, I don't often think about the status of the propositional aspects surrounding a belief or lack of belief. Um, in the case for an affirmative belief, um, I do not believe in the literal death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which by definition makes me non-Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to go so far as to say something like there's no historical evidence for his uh, his life um, but I want to go as far as to say that he rose from the dead and some of that comes from my interactions with the Bible and some of it does not mm-hmm. say th- there's like the psychology of like the, the mass of people who believe in say higher power in this case Christ and then there's the sophisticated le- theologians and the apologists there's like two separate worlds there and sure. I would say that the average person may have a different picture in their mind than a sophisticated bishop or defender of the faith. And it's okay to have those discussions and whatnot, but as someone who's just a non-believer, it seems sort of um, tense, like there's a lot of in infighting. And through my discussions with uh, the pastors here at this church and discussions in my philosophy group, the Christians in these different arenas often are pointing me towards something like uh, Calvinism as being a potential route for someone like me who describes no feeling or, or sense of uh, higher hmm. power. Interesting. In, in fact, you said this, Eric, uh, about two years ago um, after some, I don't know what the discussion was, but that stuck with me. I was like, oh, okay. So I'll look more into that, see what props up. And it seemed to be more psychological rather than theological or philosophical hmm. to me as an appeal. 
or I guess you could say. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, so yeah, before we get formally into it, uh, we got some mailbag action going oh, yeah. on here. We'll, we'll, we'll just pause for station yeah. identification and do a little mailbag and get back into the conversation. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, so do you want to read the the one that you got from? Yeah, yeah, sure, uh, sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll read the email. We were supposed to do this beforehand and we didn't, so <laughs> this is just gonna you know, we improv. We improv. We're gonna do what we're gonna do here. <laughs> uh, so this is this is from Russ, and he goes to the the village, and he just wrote this to you, Ron. He says, I just listened to the first episode of the Book of Paul, and I loved it. Thanks. I've been a Christian since childhood and grew up hearing about the various proofs and defenses of the Bible, but grew frustrated as I came into adulthood and realized that none of them were airtight. I moved to a more pietistic approach. I knew there were good arguments to support the Bible, but in my own heart, I anchored on the goodness and sovereignty of God instead of the arguments. But it is encouraging and reinvigorating to hear you make the arguments I hadn't looked at them in ages and i was surprised to see how strong they were i was blessed and may you be blessed in return russ awesome thank you so much russ um that really means a lot like this has become a big passion project for me it's it's a lot of fun and like just hearing that kind of response really uh it feels good so thank you appreciate that and i hope you keep listening um, so that's Russ. And the next one is from uh, actually a friend of, uh, I'm not sure if you've probably met him once or twice, Johannes. Yeah. He's a friend of Nathan and myself. He's a very smart guy. He's an atheist. And he listened to uh, the last few episodes. And he asked me earlier today um, about, so he, I'm going to read what he said verbatim, verbatim. What is to say that those who wrote the New Testament simply did not ensure that the prophecies of the Old Testament were borne out in the New Testament. If I have access to a book written a long time ago, and this old book has prophecies, then if I want to give credence to those prophecies, I can simply narrate the book I'm writing so that those prophecies are borne out. In other words, how is what you're saying refuting the notion that those who wrote the Bible weren't writing fiction? Good question. Totally fair. Um, so, I, and I would respond in a few ways. So, one thing is that the New Testament uh, was written very like the, the the Gospels, I should say, were written very close um, to the actual events. Um, actually, not so much the Gospels, but the, but the book, you know, the uh, the writings of Paul. Uh, they were like as early as sixteen years after, and then he wrote more things over the next decade or two, I believe. And then the Gospels came in in the next handful of decades thereafter. Um, so this sounds like a long time, but the thing is, though, is, is that there were a lot of highly motivated Jewish people, Jewish authorities, Roman people, Roman authorities that were highly motivated to shut down what they viewed as being a cult. And in the case of the Jews, they viewing it as being a blasphemous cult. Right. So not only did they have the motivation to crush this kind of movement, they also had, um, you know, way better infrastructure than this this young Christian group. You know, they, they had more money, more military might, you know, better access to, you know, like writing and, and, and spreading words far and wide because they had networks. So if these writings were untrue, we would expect these highly motivated people that were completely capable of, of, of saying, no, these books are nonsense. This never happened. It wouldn't have been too hard for them to send spread the word out. Um, it also wouldn't have been too hard for them, for the Romans to say, you know, to the early Christians a few days after the crucifixion, it's like, hey, morons, the body's here. You want to see it? We'll open the casket for you. There's the body. You happy now? But we don't have any documentation of that. And I see no reason to think that the Romans would be incapable of writing that down and preserving it. Um... 
And then also there's the argument too that um, there's a lot of the uh, martyrdoms that were um, you know attested martyrdoms for Christ and the existence of Christ himself and the murder of Christ that were attested to by non-Christian sources. So there's also that. And um, yeah, so that, 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 that's kind of like how I'd respond. Uh, do you, could you add anything, Eric? And then maybe Nathan could give his thoughts too if, if he has any to contribute. Sure. Um, well, I mean, for one... I, I, I kind of cringe at these kinds of questions because I'm not going to be able to give you any convincing proof that that didn't happen. Certainly there's reasonable arguments that were built that way. I usually hold on to, uh, over time, people in general, from non-Christian to Christian, recognize certain things as historic documents with an understanding of their um, good faith and that they're written in. And we have this about a lot of different historic figures and we look at historic figures and how they played their life out with some confidence when we look at the ancient writings so i mean for me it's like okay that's a possibility but it's not enough of a possibility for me to 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 argue with it and greater minds than me have have you know come up with arguments that you're you're kind of addressing and i'm like okay again um i think you're hard-pressed um, when you look at all of this to say Jesus didn't live and that he didn't die and, and that's and that his followers believed that he rose from the dead and they weren't attempting to create a huge farce right um, and, 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 yeah. and the and writers of these things too like they were risking their lives yes. by writing and preaching this so that, yeah yeah so so I have some confidence in you know the reliability of what they're saying and that you know this isn't just a special hoax where they lined up all the prophecies um, now there are some more nuances that we could get into and where the Septuagint which is the Greek version of the Old Testament is sometimes called the messianic um, uh, scriptures and that the, the the Jewish people who interpret or who translated the um, the Old Testament into the, to Greek really emphasized in the way they translated things the 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 messianic prophecies. So by the time the first century came along, everybody was looking for these things. They were really intense on that, and they were all reading the Septuagint. I mean, it was I mean Jesus quotes from it, so it's not like. Uh, and you know and the writers quote from it so everybody's familiar with it at least those who are reading and writing and that kind of thing so yeah it's a yeah. good it's a good question it's a fair question it's a you fair know, question extraordinary yeah. claims as as famed atheist carl sagan said extraordinary claims sure. require extraordinary evidence and so sure. hard questions are needed but any yeah. uh, any thoughts nathan uh yeah so that field you're referring to um as far as the historical patronage towards i think sort of establishing say credibility of certain sure. historical documents uh, is textual criticism right there's, there's a uh, secular version of this that um, is kind of interesting and you're invoking about the the texts that are non-christian related such as say the writings of plato or aristotle yeah. or, or what have you or I, just I have some, documents about caesar or anything yeah like that. so i have some familiarity with this um with the, uh, the text of heraclitus in particular and that uh, University of Arizona, there's a special collection for his fragments. And uh, I spent some time trying to uh, get some more information about the fragments. Because um, I was curious about the exegesis of the word uh, logos. Mm-hmm. It seems that, at least as far as it's written, that's where the word traces and its historical usage, at least 
in the based on the evidence. It mm-hmm. may have been yeah. used other places. We just don't have surviving documents. So that's that's sort of like a secular version of that. Mm-hmm. And then there's also textual criticisms within, let's say, the by uh, bimarcation with say Christians doing work with ancient Greek for, let's say, the New Testament. Mm-hmm or Hebrew for the Old Testament, mm-hmm. which is fine and dandy. As, you know, as we know, there's been many variations of texts handed down throughout the years, and a lot of these historians and linguist types, they try to establish sure. a lineage, so to speak, from mm-hmm. w- one translation to the next, and so on and so forth, and to the King James Bible. And mm-hmm. you c- It's an interesting subject on its own. It's very uh, scholarly. And then there, yeah. what I consider more like the... Uh, Christian apologist approach to textual criticism, which is looking at the content and validating the, the, the truth claims made by content or, let's say, accounts of certain things in history. Let's say the temples in Jerusalem, uh, the lineage of King David, and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. These are all also very interesting to me. I'm by no means an expert, <clears throat> but when we're looking at, let's say, not the translational issues across time, which is pretty germane, in, in my opinion. It's somewhat uncontroversial, but the... It's very cl- uncontroversial, yeah. I mean, the, 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 there are definitely scholars who are very interested in knowing the difference between the and... and someone saying the and uh, opposed to some other word or whatever, sure, right? Sure. It means a lot to them. I, I get that. And it's it's a very serious subject, and it's well worth its uh, sure scholar efforts. But there's the other thing when you tie it to, say, history, uh, as far as you know, using current methods and whatnot, like how do we validate the existence of a, how do we validate the content of a, a document? And sure. What does that look like? And it's uh, sort of a, it's becoming more scientific, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, and more uh, materialistic, I, I, sh- I should say too, as far as say dating a document. Right. That, that alone is already very difficult. And a lot of it from the textual criticism uh, perspective, and this is before carbon dating and before let's say this century, the, the vast majority of the time, uh, it was done with using things like handwriting analysis. And mm-hmm. the people who do this stuff are, are good enough at their discipline. They could basically establish within, say, 50 years of when a document might have been written right. based on the handwriting. And since not many people are literate and well, what is available and so forth. Right. So that that's interesting to me. But for, for me, I remain unconvinced of the literal truth being said in these documents. Now, I have nothing really to say about the exegesis of, let's say, the the passage of say how the Bible is developed. Oh, and sure, sure. I'm just, I, obviously, I'm just I don't know enough about that. Mm-hmm. It seems very technical to me, and even just studying, let's say, the first um, millennia after Christ and the emergence of different variations and stuff. It's it's definitely worth investigating if you're interested in that type of history, especially as you're tying it things like the uh, to the patriarchs and what they wrote about the on their commentaries in the Bible and then, let's say, establishment of the Catholic Church and then fights with, like, Gnostic sects and different places claiming to be the, the sort of the centerfold of, you know, the Christian world. And yeah. the, our whole Western history is, is based in around... So it's... it's I, I, I want more atheists and secular types to maybe take that a little more seriously. At the same time, I think there should be more discussion about the actual claims being made if you want to look at them from a propositional standpoint like one being just focusing around christ's life i think that's a pretty good start um there seems to be less contention on the old testament even amongst most of the abrahamic religions and their origins and 
where they they sort of stem from. Sure. That's why they call the Abrahamic religions. Right. Um, that's interesting, but it, I just think focusing on Christ as like a good window sure. into Christianity would right, be right, right. kind of like where I'd like to focus. Not so much on the textual variants and translations, and that's that's interesting and all, but it seems more academic rather than what does an average Christian believe and what do theologians say and then what's the historical take on this? Mm-hmm. That's kind of like where my headspace is and um, I just don't believe in the, based on what I've encountered, I don't believe in a literal, uh, I believe in a literal death of Jesus but I don't believe in a literal resurrection. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, like when I was doing my research into all this and uh you know, what won me over was all these prophecies, such as the ones I talked about a few weeks ago. And but and that's what kind of made me say, okay, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. This is pretty extraordinary. But even still, it's like when I was reading the Bible and it'd be like, oh, you know, turning, making seven loaves of bread enough to feed like four or 5,000 people and sure. have leftovers for days. It's just like, really? Like, it's just like resurrection, really? Like, it just, like, it's, it's, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like, I still have trouble getting my head around that. And I'm, I'm infinitely sympathetic to skepticism sure. about it because it, it's deserved. But um, so the, I, I know you listened to um, my case for agnostic atheism. Do you think, did I represent it well? Like, did I miss any good arguments that you think I should have had in there? Well, I, I don't identify as an agnostic atheist. And I actually would think, where are you? Because it's more about you and your personal kind of yeah. space. And and how do you, what kind of, I mean, you leave, everybody lives by a creed of some sort, right? A way of understanding their life and processing things. So where are you in that? I'll try to answer both at the same time and as well as address okay. something as heard. And if I could. And seven other things. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out in 40 minutes for sure. Okay. Um, the uh, Okay, so to answer your question, Ron, um, I don't know if you represented it the best you could or not, but that's simply put, I'm just not, I don't, I don't identify with those the combination of words, really. Okay. I, uh, I'll, I'll interrupt you briefly, but uh, so just, yeah, if there's any... Like if you if there's some way you could make the case for disbelief better than I made it, feel free to say those. But yeah, continue. Uh, I don't think I could do that in the time constraint, seeing how you you spent a whole podcast doing it last time. I'm asked to do it in a single sentence or two. No, 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 no. Take, <laughs> well, take, just, yeah, no. we're not, not going to be that stingy. We're not going to be that stingy. I, uh, uh, just go talk. Tell us. I'd really love to. Just, okay. Well, yeah. just go. Well, what's maybe, on your brain? And just, maybe something in between what yeah, you were just asking. Swim so. back and forth. Okay. So. uh how do I put this? Well, I, I guess you're looking. Are you looking for a propositional frame for this? Well, I mean, everybody lives their life a certain okay, way. Okay, you said right? cre- you mentioned the word creed, creed and I mean, it, yeah. we all have them. They're either spoken or and not spoken. You, right? you, you mentioned in the the first podcast with him uh, attributions of faith. Mm-hmm. This is something that I talked to him, and he thought I should maybe bring up. Um, well, I don't think any position has a necessary monopoly on certain words and their usage mm-hmm. and their meanings. Yeah. So when I hear the word faith, it's very postmodern. But anyway, <laughs> when I hear the word faith, I I typically uh, associate it with action, okay, or uh, belief despite an action. Oh, I'm sorry, action despite a certain type of belief, and that okay. belief stands apart from what we would consider natural, or let's say in the world in which we live, or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm being very loose with the definition here. That's fine. Um, so when we make claims like and this, this is me asserting something, 
that you can correct me on. I think you said something like, uh, atheists live by a certain faith. Let's say that when I drop something, it's going to hit the ground. Um, there are many words that I can use to describe that word, other verbs, for instance, like I have, or nouns, I have confidence that when I lug on my keys, they're going to touch the ground. Or I have confidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And most people wouldn't say that way, mm-hmm. unless they were maybe in, the, in a session like this where debating uh, the- theology and apologetics. But when people use the word faith, I see no reason to concede any ground that because something's baked into the word and the person who's asserting it, that therefore there's something else yeah. going on with the word. Yeah, well, I mean, it takes, I mean, yeah, when we can dive deep into philosophy and how we know <laughs> things and that, yeah. the, and, and epistemology, yes, yeah. we can dive there. And that's where this conversation and I mean, I think for me, it's where yeah. it ends up, right? A lot of times, yeah. Yes. And so, which yeah. is fine. Like, I'm, I'm happy to do that. But when it comes down to it, I don't think the majority of Christians are apologists or sophisticated philosophers. They believe in literal, um, transgressions surrounding certain stories and that's fine and uh there I, I don't know where this quote came from but i heard it um i think it was said this century someone said uh if it's good enough for uh, saint paul it's good enough for me <laughs> as far as like gotcha, gotcha. taking uh, taking a sort of screw all the philosophy and metaphysics yeah. and all this kind of stuff right. let's just if it's good enough for the, the 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 saints it's good it should be good enough for me right right and I, that kind of appeals to me in a kind of funny way because of what you said to me about, uh, um, I forget exactly, but it was a two-year conversation yeah. ago. So, <laughs> well, what, what Do you have any idea? Can you paraphrase what I said? Uh, no, you were, you were trying, I think you were trying to direct a question I had or discussion I was having with Rod about types of christian sex and how one sect might appeal to someone like me because of my disposition psychologically oh i think it was calvinism oh yeah it was calvinism yeah. that's what it was sorry yeah and i was probably yeah just yeah so good good enough for saint paul good enough good enough for me calvinist maybe <laughs> well it's, it's either gonna happen or it's not gonna happen sure and sure. i want to mischaracterize him right right <laughs> right gotcha yeah. so but still okay but and I'm just kind of, you know, feeling you out here a little bit, but, and it's been two years since we've had a first <laughs> conversation yeah. like this, but I'm just curious, like, again, though, you do have a set of beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. And you live by those beliefs and you engage in, and so I'm just curious what they are and how you, uh, you live in a world, I mean, you're, you got a PhD in math, some kind of mathematics strain. And, uh, so I know like having a father who's in that world, like I know how his brain works a little bit. Um, there is uh, a finding of patterns, a, th- a thinking of things very, you know, in certain structures. And so you have an understanding of how you're going to live your life and how you approach even all these conversations or why you think these conversations would be even important. You know, some people be like, why would I want to have this conversation? You you have a, at least some kind of belief in that, that this is a good conversation. Or you're yeah, yeah. I've, I've always been drawn to philosophy and the activity of the philosophy, but people have known me even for just a little bit realize in philosophic conversation, I really, I, uh, I sort of grow impatient mm. of the propositional aspects surrounding philosophical discussion and without some sort of call to action or, or 
applicability. I'm often, I often push back a little more. And just, uh, to, be, just to interrupt real quick, so mm-hmm. not everyone knows what propositional means. So in yeah, that, mm-hmm. what you're basically being, saying is true, false, state, like, like making a statement, is it true or is it false? That's pretty yeah, much it, right? Yeah, you, you could tie it to, let's say, logic and, and the yeah. uh, sort of scholastic approach to logic. And that does have a tie-in with, again, the, a lot of the Christian heritage, um, especially in the Middle Ages and the... Uh, preservation of old texts and, and yeah. whatnot and the scholasticism that came out of those activities yeah. which again it's yeah. the it's the water we swim in in a lot of ways and so what we're doing now is very propositionally based but like it's like when i was making the arguments for agnostic atheism i was making propositions you're uh, making a or, or, argument or, or, not the argument no, for uh, agnostic uh, atheism. Well, I, was, I was making arguments i should say because okay. i made more than one right mm-hmm. um and um and then the same thing was true when i made the arguments i made for christ i'm making propositions which may or may not be true and the point of this conversation is to test out the beliefs or the, or right, the statements right. anyhow please continue uh i kind of forgot where we were a second ago we're having a good conversation <laughs> okay so yeah to uh, to sort of disarm my claws a little bit i am sympathetic towards more sympathetic towards the average believer and say divine power than I am a theologian, philosopher, or an apologist. And the reason being is that maybe this is the, maybe this is the uh, Protestant that's in me or something, I guess, culturally or psychologically, that why do we need all this sophistication? Uh, where in the Bible does it say you have to be, have a PhD in theology or, or Christian apologetics, philosophy, right. or history to be a believer. Right. I, I don't, I so don't think that's anywhere. So your pushback on all of this <coughs> is that, yeah, this is sophisticated on either end, but the average person, they're not, these aren't the world that they're swimming in. It's not the life they're in for, for the most, the average yeah. guy. So talking about the, the least durable case for Christ, which is something of some, something interesting. I actually was introduced to that in 2006 and old lady I was dating, um, she wanted me to read it, and so I did. And the relationship didn't work out, not because of that, but you know, I, I do rem- I do remember it. Um, that seems to be there seems to be some motivation in the let's say the title of say the, the case for Christ, which you're 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 naming this mm-hmm. associated with that book. Because I mean, mm-hmm. it is called the case for Christ yep, as sure. well, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, I, that's not a bad thing. Funny thing I noticed though is in the story itself, we have what we're doing right now this investigation into the case for Christ, you know, starting from someone who's secular and becomes a believer in Jesus. But the, the pre the, the catalyst, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> the catalyst for all this came from a strained relationship between the secular man, Lee Strobel and his wife, or was it a girlfriend? It doesn't matter, but wife. <laughs> that was um, my story too. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm getting to something psychological here. Yeah. So, so there was a strain between these sure. these two people. She became a believer, and he was unconvinced, and so he seeked out evidence. She didn't come to the same conclusions that he did based off of evidence. She just had faith, right? Or at least there's no, maybe it's or not attested she had to a in the professed experience. She had an experience. So I ask, like, what's the? I'm not saying what's the purpose. It's certainly a, a a good activity to participate in, but I just don't understand i don't understand like what uh, are we making an appeal to reason and if that's the case is that monopolized by the secular world which i i may not agree with completely um or 
we're making a, a testament of faith, which doesn't need all this, just needs us to have a profound experience. And then again, maybe an appeal to sort of a Protestant way of viewing this or mm. a Calvinist way. And I don't want to mischaracterize those. Dis- I'm not a Calvinist, by the way. Okay. So, yeah. I, I will, for anyone who might be, who, oh my gosh, this atheist is, re- I'm not trying to misrepresent you. I'm trying to, I'm, as far as the modality in which Christianity can manifest itself, um, that might be a plausible answer, I guess, for, for people like me who have certain dispositions. I don't know. Mm. I don't think so because it hasn't happened yet. Right, right. No, no, <laughs> I, I, so, so here's, I think what I hear you saying is that everybody in some way, and you can cr- totally correct me on this, but everybody has their own story, right? My, my argument even here is like your story intersects with his story at some level, right? You guys are friends. Mm-hmm. And his story involves a somewhat of an uh, some, some ascent to some beliefs based on reason, right? He began to process, uh, just like the guy in the case for, for Christ, Ron began to try to address these things. And, and proofs or whatever he feels like are proofs to him open the door to have that experience, right? So yeah. I think the conversation about reason and conversation about you know reasonable belief or these are things you could believe and here's the facts and evidence is just part of a narrative when it gets of a story of a person when it gets separated onto a stage where we got you know apologist A like for for Christianity and apologist B for whatever else that's not Christianity um, and then we argue that's not a narrative that's not a story that's just two people arguing over propositions and, mm-hmm. and really just rhetoric it's just rhetorical whoever has a more powerful rhetorical presentation or has more a, charisma or more whatever charisma yeah. or more <clears throat> knowledge they hit their knowledge point and the other person you know is not in that spot and and mm-hmm. is starting to lose the debate or whatever yeah. it is i found myself in that kind of third position or, or sort of middle position where especially when i was looking at textual criticism because it's a very interesting subject. It is. I love textual Even criticism. when I was looking at it with in the context of Heraclitus, I was like, "Wow, there's a, there's a lot of detail here that I'm not prepared to contend with." Do I take the basis of the what we think is the best case scenario for, let's say, fragment one or fragment two, and then we try to interpret it through English? Do I need to learn ancient Greek? What's going on here? And what I found is that the discipline itself was is very conservative. They, they tend to very they tend to um, align themselves with the least, the most plausible uh, answer given what e- pieces of evidence they might have. And then scholarship might um, come off of that where someone right. might speculate something or they might find some other fragment or right, right. whatever or some partial fragment and then that recapitulates the whole process again and again. Um, I don't think most Christians, including the uh, now, this is me making a, an assertion that could be completely wrong. I just think that most Christians, including Christian apologists, didn't come to Christ through studying. The, it may be the case in some minority cases, but the majority of them didn't come to Christ through studying ancient Greek and then discovering the Christo that way. Um, they, they may have had to put in a basket, I would say, probably like an 80-20 rule or something. 80% of them were already convinced. They reconvinced themselves through learning the Greek, and that's great. Say 20% may have been more agnostic or even an atheist or agnostic atheist, whatever the hybrid is. And then they could be convinced through their reasoning that way. But again, I don't, I, I don't think I'm not saying there's no place for reason in this discussion. I just, sometimes I don't understand the appeal, especially when 
we're talking about, you know, God here. And, right, right. You know, with, with God, all things are possible, right? I'm, I'm kind of I'm not trying to bump a bumper sticker on or something, but I just, I don't understand. I don't have this, the same sort of sense when I look at Heraclitus because I'm not wondering whether or not he's literally meaning an actual, he's talking about Godhood or something like that. He may be talking about more gem, germane topics. And so the possibility that um, there's something missed in translation will always be there, but I'm not left wondering that he's making, he's trying to make an assertion or a claim that I can't wrestle with. Right. When certain claims are made in, <clears throat> let's say, other religions as well, let's say, look at Mormonism, they have tens of thousands of documents supposedly that support Joseph Smith and all of his followers, and there's entire libraries and stuff like that, and I don't think they're real. Mm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they're, they're true, um, and I'm not going to falsely equivocate what Mormonism has done as a, as a whole with what Christianity has done as a whole, but... It seems that there's a human process here and separating that human process of sorting through all these documents and validating them and whatnot is a different activity than the word faith. That doesn't seem like faith. That seems like the pursuit of reason, not the pursuit of faith. And correct me wrong, isn't there should be some sort of marriage at some point of those two in some ways, but maybe one takes more precedence over the other. Your congregation, for instance, you're not going to tell them next week unless you read this book on Christian apologetics. You're no longer a Christian. Right. The Bibles should Be, suffice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Well, so just to bring us back for a bit, I just guys, I really want to make sure that we um, uh, basically the last series of episodes, the the defense of Christ. Did, is there any argument I made or that anything Eric said that you that you that perked your ears up and said no that's not right or they didn't substantiate that anything anything like that that you could put a finger on no I thought I thought there were very all, all the things I listened to were very earnest I didn't feel that you were trying to be persuasive for the sake of like <clears throat> convincing someone rather than trying to prove something but you're also talking to someone who already believes mm -hmm. so and you've already addressed that and mm -hmm. whatnot. And he, put, he, put, he pushed back, and that, that, that was good. Like that, I thought it was very healthy. Um, but I don't think the conversation ends. I don't think there's going to be the case for Christ ever. There may be cases for Christ um, or an assimilation of cases. Um, so yeah. just that, I mean, maybe you don't want to put this live on air, but why not be a Christian? Me? Yeah, you. I literally have no belief in the afterlife. I have no belief that Christ rose from the dead. Uh, I don't believe in the soul. Um, to name a few things. No, no, that's actually <laughs> that's a good reason. <laughs> well, and I think for just the listeners, and yeah. that's good. Like, yeah, um, because I think as as you speak, people understand uh, at least they can get a quick understanding that you have read their text at some level uh, if they're christians yeah. and you you mm -hmm. and you have a sympathy to them mm -hmm. like a care for them but mm -hmm. it's very admirable i, I no when i'm in my early 20s um i was dating an evangelical woman and she was very keen on trying to groom me in a kind of way to sure. become like a an apologist or something because you know i was into philosophy and so she got me to lee strobel and and, and sure. i i honestly was not convinced i was less convinced after reading Lee Strobel than I was before where I might have been more open to entertaining types of validity surrounding say textual evidence or whatever or sure. textual historic uh, evidence where I've shifted on that was I went from being something closer to like a mythicist almost mm -hmm. that these are just myths written by man to the possibility that as I grew and and 
had a little more appreciation. Yeah, sure, he might, Christ might have existed. These, some of these places have been substantiated through archaeology, and that's fine and all, but does that mean, again, this is back in my head, does that mean that he literally rose from the dead? Mm. And I, I say no. Um, and I, I don't know if this podcast is long enough to go, to go into that. We'll just leave it at that uh, for a direct answer. For- You've been listening to Healing the City Podcast with Pastor Eric Seepin and Ron Brown. If you'd like to ask us a question, you can email us at healingthecity at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter.